0: broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia. It's time for Health Connect South Radio, brought to you by Sherwick Media, your health and wellness content specialist. Health Connect South is to serve the health community as a sustainable platform for regional health collaborations. Through our collective work, we seek to broadly define and advance the Southeast role in the future of health, serving as a gateway between health industry silos. We seek to provide unique and meaningful partnership opportunities in health. We are pleased to share this information and these experts with you as part of our mission. Want to be part of the discussion? Join in, tweet questions and comments at HealthCon Radio.
1: Good morning, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Health Connect South Radio. All post-Memorial Day weekend. And joined in studio as always, or at least almost always, Diana Keo.
2: And moving very slowly this morning.
1: <laughs> Everybody's kind of got that bleary eye, yeah. kind of swollen Way look. Way too much weekend. Sodium and beer and whatnot. So, uh, as you know, we're, are, we're all about getting the word out about uh, healthcare organizations that are making things happen in the Atlanta area, and we're really pleased to have guests in, with us in studio that are clearly doing that. And uh, I think that after having spoken with them last week, it sounds like we're just beginning to, um, you know, see the tip of the iceberg as far as the different things that they can do with data to help uh, healthcare providers and hospital systems provide a, uh, an even greater level of care for the patients that they serve. And so we'll get right to them. I'm joined in the studio by Dr. Brad Bowman. He's the chief medical officer for Health Grades and his colleague, vice president of editorial, Nikki Scarborough, are with us here in the studio this morning. So thanks for taking some time. Good morning. Good morning. So Health Grades, tell me a little bit about the concept and then we'll kind of dive down into some of the things that we talked about last week. and And, and then just a quick bus stop introduction to HealthGrades, and then we'll kind of talk about how you got here, Dr. Bowman, and then we'll plow into HealthGrades. Certainly.
3: Um, Well, HealthGrades is a little bit difficult to introduce. Um, HealthGrades is probably the coolest company that you've never heard of. And HealthGrades does a lot of different things for different constituents. But at the end of it, it really just boils down to they collect a lot of information from a lot of different places. They analyze it and then they use that information to help patients, hospitals, and doctors make better decisions. And so there's kind of a common theme around data transparency and using that data to improve the medical care and medical decision-making and stuff, whether you're a patient, a hospital, or a physician.
1: And so one of the places where folks may have come across health grades is if I'm looking for a physician, for example, one of the functions of, of the platform, if you will, is to provide background information on a physician. What kind of experience does he have? What kind of certifications does he have? Does he match up with what I'm looking for as a patient? I need to get a knee replacement done. So is Dr. Jones skilled and experienced in that? Am I on the right track there?
3: Yeah, you're on the right track. So if you're a patient, where you're probably most familiar with health grades is the healthgrades.com website. So it's a It's a public health portal, and it's where patients can go find a doctor and increasingly find the right doctor. So it's taking kind of the notion of a hospital directory and kind of turning it on its head a little bit in terms of providing a lot more information than you're used to being able to find about a particular sort of doctor. Um, So every website has where the doctor went to medical school, whether they're board certified, what their office address is, their phone numbers, that type of thing, we're trying to have a conversation with consumers and patients around that information is is very, very helpful. But we also think that things that they should be looking at is the doctor's experience. If it's a serious life-threatening condition or a medical procedure, the volume of that particular condition or procedure that they perform and the practice concentration because what you really wanna find is a doctor that this is their thing, this is their wheelhouse, this is what they do all day, every day. So for an example, if you're having a knee replacement, you know, you probably want a knee guy, an orthopedic surgeon that does knees, does knees all day, every day, as opposed to the guy that may do a knee or two this week, but he also does some shoulders and a back and a hip and- You don't want him coming in saying, gosh, I've always wanted to do this. Exactly, <laughs> and, and so, and it's-
2: No surprises.
3: <laughs> you know, so I think that's the, I mean, the, the data just shows out that the volume, you know, really matters Yeah. and, and stuff. And, and so that's part of the information. And so we work very hard to go out and collect that information on physicians as well um so are you also
2: doing failure you know for like as far as failure rates or infection rates
3: so the outcomes and stuff is another important part of this both at the both for the physician and the hospital because the facility that the doctor practices in is also crucially important so you can have a great surgeon but if you don't have great sort of care And so in addition, we go out and um, if you're a hospital, you're probably most familiar with health grades because we produce a hospital report card every year. And hospitals are required to present or to submit their outcomes data to the federal government. The government has that information available, doesn't do a lot with it, but we take the information back, we analyze it and create sort of a scorecard. And and every physician and hospital, of course, thinks that their patients are the sickest and stuff. So what we go through is very carefully risk adjust and go through and find out, you know, what are the other comorbidities or present on admission sort of factors for the physician hospitals, and then score those based on how they performed as opposed to how we expected them to perform.
2: And so as a consumer, what kind of information, I mean, first of all, where do I find that information? And second of all, what am I I looking for?
3: Yeah. So, so the, on the hospitals, mm-hmm. so the, on healthgrades.com website as well, there's an annual report, um, that's up there all the time that it has the hospitals and, and, ranks how they either one star, three star, or five stars, basically three stars is the hospital performed as expected. They, they're a very good hospital. they just statistically, their outcomes match what you would expect them to sort of produce. One star is the hospital performs significantly worse than would expect based on their kind of you know comorbidity and risk mix. And five stars really outperformed kind of their other hospitals. And again, most of these are on a couple dozen sort of conditions, and they're around sort of complications um, or sort of outcomes. So outcomes either death, outcomes being readmissions, outcomes being you know post-op infection, those types of things that you can go through and look at the systems that are just performing very, very well. Um, we publish that every year. And we let the hospitals that the ones that really outperform sort of use that as part of their kind of marketing and promotion sort of packages.
2: Yeah, I've never seen banners on hospitals saying we're <laughs> number ten. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> so, so back up just a little bit. How did you, how did you transition over to your role here with with Healthgrades? What were you doing before you linked up with the company? Because clearly they're a they're a technology company. When you get right down to it, and analyzing data and being able to pre- present uh, a medical Element to it, what to do with this data? Not a, a lot. A lot of it that we talked about the other day isn't even healthcare-related information, though it plays into our overall outcomes. So, how did you? What was your story? How would you get here? So
3: I got here. Um, I was a math and computer science major. Makes um, perfect sense in college, and I'm old enough that at about that time, the sort of the college counselors and kind of advisors said, you know, recommended going into medicine because these computers were going to be just a fad and really weren't going to go <laughs> anywhere yeah. with that. Yeah. So, I, so I, you know, fled to medical school. Um, so I trained in Seattle. Um, and at that time, right across from Microsoft was starting to be a big thing. And they were just right across the lake. Um, and so I went to school with a lot of people from Microsoft. Um, and we had a lot of folks that had relationships and worked there. And so we were always very interested in sort of just statistical models and sort of analytics and stuff. So I trained in internal medicine, taught internal medicine, um, and started kind of a healthcare internet company kind of back in the early 90s and stuff. That company was eventually acquired by WebMD. And so I spent the next decade as the chief science officer at WebMD um, really looking at all of these different sort of predictive models and analytics and decision support sort of tools and stuff. So. The the thing, though, that I think it was most fortunate about this is the the, the background in math and computer science and medicine was kind of part of the equation that was sort of planned. Um, The really fascinating and just wonderful sort of coincidence was that all of these companies that I ended up working at subsequently, I worked with these folks called marketers. And I really didn't understand what marketing was, but I knew that marketers – seemed to think differently than like the rest of us. (laughs) And they had a very unique sort of spin on the world and they were very data centric sort of people. And they had access to data that they didn't really talk about in medical school. They didn't explain it, we didn't utilize it, but they could do amazing things with like data that you would never imagine and stuff. And so I think that was kind of the real intersection that I think there's something there in some of these marketing data sets and it's just a little bit different way of kind of looking at sort of the world. So it was really by accident um, and just sort of an amazing coincidence. And then subsequently at health grades is just kind of continuing
1: on and Mm -hmm. kind of ramping it up, taking it to even the next level. Mm -hmm. I'll say, sounds like uh, with all the cool things that you're able to do with, with data about all of us, I was a little creeped out. I'm still creeped out from our conversation the other day. Um, we've been talking with Chief Medical Officer of Healthgrades, Dr. Brad Bowman, learning about uh, his background in health IT and how he's applying that uh, with his work here with what is clearly a health information technology company. And so let's kind of get down into that. When you talked about the marketing folks and their use of data, can you give kind of a, I don't know, an idea of what, you're, what, you're, what you mean? Because I think it kind of comes into play here.
3: Yeah, so if you think about it... Um and it's kind of scary. This is kind of the scary part, I think, that we were talking about the other day, Yeah, is that if you really knew what information was out there about you that lots of organizations were holding on to, it would really be terrifying. And so it's safe to say that everything we do leaves <laughs> tracks.
1: Yeah, we're fretting about the NSA, but it's – uh, <laughs> There's
3: nothing <laughs> – that there's not a purchase we make. That there's There's not anything about us – that isn't available that somebody either collects and resells and other people aggregate and sort of large sort of things. so our our entire life we're just leaving tracks and people are collecting that information and aggregating it and using it for various marketing sort of purposes so you're you know I think you'd be astounded like what Amazon really knows about you and your household or what Google knows about you and these other sort of companies out there and and kind of what they're doing with it and stuff and so that's one of the things that you know once you have that information, um, and I think kind of the interesting thing is, is trying to kind of then use that to either improve healthcare decision making um, or help patients make better healthcare decisions.
1: And that seems to be kind of the pivot that I don't know if it's necessarily <laughs> a pivot, it may have been the end game all along, but when we were talking about health grades. Um, And we talked about the fact that one of the big things that you provide as a service to the community and your users are pieces of information that would let me kind of have a good idea The doctor i'm going to see has the right background and experience they've done this procedure thousands of times so i have some measure of confidence the hospital i'm going to get the surgery done in has low infection rates particularly in this particular um, in this specialty i noticed you know i checked out a couple of the hospitals around here locally that i'm familiar with to see what their scores were Um, and you break it down by given specialty given type of procedure so you can really drill down into the data and get a good picture but What you're talking about being able to do now with data goes way beyond that. And it sounds like that from the hospital system side of things, they're only just now kind of beginning. Some of the early adopters are beginning to take you up on the opportunity to kind of pull some of that data information about their community, um, both the socioeconomic kind of things that are out there that come into play with long term outcomes. For example, do I end up getting readmitted? Do I end up going to the ER a whole lot? Different things like that. So, can you kind of Pull that in as it applies to what you're doing here now and where you're going to go with that. Yeah. So as we started out, we were kind of
3: solving the problem of helping the patient find the right doctor. So it was going out and just sourcing all the information that was out there about that physician and trying to present and organize it in a way to help them make a decision. Now, if you think from the hospital sort of perspective, there's there's the same sort of analogy that exists there in helping hospitals find the right patients. Um, It it makes sense, both in terms of just a competitive market share sort of thing, but if you then layer on top of that, you know, value-based reimbursement sort of models, where you're now being reimbursed for the total cost of care, or you're being reimbursed on how well these patients perform in terms of their outcomes. Patient selection is now, you know, very, very critical, where in an older transactional sort of model, where it was just a volume game. You want to define those individuals. So, But understanding kind of what patients are in your marketplace, which of them are loyal to you, which of these patients are, you know, going to your competitor, which of these patients are up for grabs um, is critical to sort of hospitals. And of course, you know, there's always been an element of cherry picking, whether you're insurance underwriting or whatever. You want the right patients, either the patients that need the services that you have or again, the, pay, the services that are in your wheelhouse, the things that you do really, really well, let's get more of those patients. These things we're not so good at, let's not actively go and recruit more of those because that ends up harming our kind of report cards yeah. and stuff. So now the, the way that healthcare and, and just doctors and hospitals and stuff has tended to look at the world is in a very clinical sort of model. I look at their like past medical history, I look at their problem list, I, maybe I look at their medications, and I try to make a determination based on what I know about them clinically. Um, I think the lesson from marketers here is like, yeah, that's sort of important. What's far more important is the information about their household. It's sort of where do they live you know, who do they live with? How do they live? Are they financially secure? Are they financially sort of, you know, unstable? Um, you know, what type of support network do they have? What's their lifestyle with? What's the, do they have access to clean water? Do they have access to good nutrition? Are they in a crime sort of like neighborhood? Those are the social determinants of health and predictors that determine essentially how well these patients do both when they get in the hospital and for the individual sort of medical conditions. And you can far more accurately predict whether they're gonna have a heart attack or a stroke, whether they're gonna have their leg amputated for their diabetes, by looking at the household socially determinants, than you can the clinical factors.
1: Yeah, that's crazy.
3: The clinical adds a little bit, but but it's not the main driver in this sort of like equation. So backing up and Looking at kind of that data set is allows you to better be able to sort of forecast.
2: And so, in knowing all that information, how does that determine how the hospital treats them once they're admitted?
3: And and I think that's where th- this is the conversation that we're trying to have with hospital leadership and kind of physicians, because we're trained to sort of ignore, you know, this sort of non-evidence based you know, type of clinical sort of like information. You a know? diabetic
1: patient is a diabetic patient.
3: Yeah, and for like heart disease, you know, we have like a list of a half dozen or so known causative mm-hmm. risk factors for like heart disease and we focus on those. Even though we know that there's all these other ones that just in terms of an, an evidence-based, a clinical trial hasn't like proven out yet. Um, but I think it's part of trying to get folks to look at that sort of information but and I think you even just have to back up and kind of walk into it a little bit. And you almost have to start with sort of like a hypothetical. It's sort of like, okay, here's the patients that you're now responsible for. Um, if we were able to show you kind of a subset of these patients that were going to have events um, over the next 12 months, what would we do differently? Um, you know, would we do something, you know, kind of a watch group, if you will? Um, would we check in on them more often? You know, would we schedule more frequent sort of office visits with them? Would we make sure that, you know, really talk to them about medication compliance and make sure they're up to date on their screening? Would we kind of act a little bit differently? And and it's a little kind of like the example we were using the other day, that this is a very big data, kind of cold scientific sort of approach to this that's very foreign to kind of this warm thing. But if, if we were, for example, um, and I think I'm backing up here a little bit. I apologize, but I think also the disconnect is that a lot of this information is non-intuitive. It doesn't. We can't really figure out why it matters. Um, a lot of the things that matter are things such as like when where you live, but also how many bedrooms you have. You know what your mortgage is. What percentage of your you know whether you rent whether you own. What you know is left balance. Do on your mortgage. What your car you drive. You know how many kids you have. You know how many cell phone minutes you use per month. How many contacts are in your contact list. How, all of these sort of crazy, crazy sort of signals, and it makes no sense. And, and so,
2: so tell me what, how how many bedrooms I have fits into you know, my
3: my health outlook. I can't, but I can tell you that many clinical conditions, and for lack of a better word, have sort of tells. You know, and it's almost, and it's, and it's why the house always wins in Vegas that these conditions, for for no seemingly rhyme or reason, you know, when you take this factor and combine it with this factor, so you take like a three bedroom, one story house and combine it with like, you know, less than three kids or more than five, and with an income of here and, you know, a car that's more than 10 years old, th- these type of things, and you have less than 10 social people who you text with or, you know, Facebook sort of contacts that increases your risk for these other outcomes by like some measurable percent, and we can't explain it. It makes no it, it makes no sense.
2: Here, can you take my phone? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me. My I'm outcome. done. <laughs>
3: but the thing that's, and I guess this is where it starts to kind of undeniably it's like it's almost always right, and the reason it's almost always right is the way these associations are identified is by taking tens of millions of individuals medical information, kind of claims data primarily, over decades, and going through and running it through a neural network model, and the network will decide what's important. And it's usually a list of kind of or. So it's either this cluster of things, when this happens, then that's sort of a, that's a flag. Or when some completely different cluster of things happens, that's almost an equal flag. Can we explain it? No. But we know that it's almost never wrong. And so kind of a simpler kind of example, for example, that makes about as much or little sense as whatever is, if you knew that every time the price of bananas goes above a certain rate, that purse snatchings increase by like 40% on Peachtree between 17th and 14th. Is that true? No. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just but wow. Health grades is awesome. <laughs> but, that's,
1: but that's what they're able to do. So but able it's to kind of an example. So, in, so if you knew that,
3: and if it had never been wrong, and all of a sudden, the price goes up. Now, would you do something different? Would you put a cop, like on the street? And this is kind of more the notion of, how, and so part of the problem is like when we can identify these things. But the second part is, okay, now what do we do about it? Right? That example is kind of easy to solve. It's sort of like, okay, well, well, the price stays here. Maybe we just put an extra, you know, be cop on the street and just keep an eye out. That sort of thing. But these are the things that within healthcare, by using these expanded data sets, that you can start to. Pre- now, you can't predict with hundred percent certainty. And so i don't want to like elude that like any one like individual but what you can do is you can find a group that's much smaller than the total population and say with like 80 90 percent accuracy is my next 100 hip replacements is coming out of this smaller cluster of people now yeah there's going to be some innocent bystanders some false positives in there So obviously we're not gonna wanna schedule surgery for these folks, you know, or we're not gonna like start their treatment, that sort of thing. But we now know that this is the group who we wanna concentrate on. And we wanna do whatever seems reasonable for that group. Now as a hospital marketer, then it's like, yeah, if if I'm trying to grow my hip replacement service line business and I've been able to take the entire population and winnow it down to this like, you know, 10, 15%, then it may make sense for me to try to create some sort of outreach, whether it's a direct mail, whether it's a social media campaign, you know, some sort of thing, an email, like whatever I want to do with those folks. Or I may want to target kind of those neighborhoods where most of those people tend to come from. I think there's a similar sort of thing now if you think of like clinicians. Sort of like I have my practice, I have my 3,000 patients, you know. I schedule them kind of routinely, they kind of whatever. But if this predictive model tells me that, you know, these folks are going to be, you know, a certain percentage of these folks are going to have heart attacks this year. It's like, okay, well, now it's probably not just business as usual. Um, You know, I have this watch group. I have to, you know, probably want to create some sort of increased
1: either just monitoring. Where you have like a nurse reach out to them or instead of saying I'll see you next year, you say I'll see you in four months.
3: Yeah. Uh, So there's either a check-in or maybe it's something that I text them or, or my system texts them on a regular and checks in. It's just I I need to create something that looks more like kind of air traffic control for patients, where I'm pinging them periodically, make sure that they're staying on course. And if they're veering off course, and I start pinging them frantically and try to knock them back on course. And if they don't answer, then I really escalate things and try to, you know, that sort of. So I think it's more... Try to
2: engage them then. Yeah. So and the flip side of this would also be helping clinicians choose areas in which to kind of put their flag in the ground or put a slate up, right? Yes. So based on, say, if they are hip replacement or orthopedic surgeons, then they can actually then determine that their private practice would be based here, based on the number of the population. Is, I mean, is that something you're also going into?
3: I think because I think that starts to now cut across sort of two of the different sort of service lines. So that definitely in terms of that market sort of analysis, what's the opportunity here? What's the need? what's the potentially available sort of practice sort of size. But then there's also sort of the where the back on the other side where patients start to kind of shop for the right physicians. It allows physicians to kind of differentiate themselves from the others. And like the conversation we're trying to have with patients is that these volume and these practice concentrations really matter. What patients are trying to tell us, and they keep telling us over and over, So and we're trying to kind of be receptive and listen, Is what's most important to them is who the person is. They want to know kind of like who they are, what makes them tick, why they went into medicine, why they picked orthopedic surgery, what they think is really cool about doing hips, you know, why they chose hips rather than shoulders, you know, that kind of stuff that starts to humanize them to us. And I think that's the sort of thing. And I think on the flip side of that with physicians, it's like, look, if there's a type of patient that you really enjoy working with and you want to spend your whole day sort of seeing these patients rather than these patients, then put it out there. Let them know that that this is your focus, this is your interest, your passion. And, you know, hopefully you'll attract more of them um, than these other ones that just may come in more of on kind of random basis. So I think there is the ability for physicians to try to build the practice um, of their dreams. Hmm. And so
2: that would basically be why you don't have – dermatologists or plastic surgeons in certain parts of the city, but they all seem to congregate in this part, you know, a certain part of the city. If, you know, as opposed, you know, you kind of thought up until having this conversation that they just basically put their finger in the wind to see which way the wind was blowing to, or, you know, anecdotally tried to figure it out, but there was actually real science on where the best place to put a practice is based on the number of bedrooms based on, you know, minus three or plus three children, you know, on the the data that you guys are all calling, right?
3: Yeah, and this is where I think the hospital marketers are very savvy, but both in terms of understanding some are, <laughs> some are <Yeah. laughs> understanding the mar- the marketplace and the opportunities and the growth and where they put a satellite clinic and whether they you know acquire some other facility how it fits into their kind of existing sort of thing, and I- increasingly enough, I mean, using these expanded data sets gives them even more precision and power. Um, and I think the thing that gets me really excited is the ability to just like, okay, I, I understand the need for kind of acquisition and growth within the hospital sort of space. But to be able to take that same data set and to now sort of provide it to the providers, to the docs, and, you know, based on this information, let's figure out a way how you can provide better care um, to your patients. And again, because we're all struggling trying to do this this transition from volume to value, because um, the rules really change. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're expected to do and the type of care that we provide now is very, very different when we're going to be you know, scored and reimbursed based on our outcomes um, and how well we manage the total cost of care and stuff. So it's a little bit of a think differently sort of model and stuff, and I think people are kind of stuck, well, you know, I have the skill set and the tools, and I'm staffed up, and I know how to deliver this old sort of, you know, kind of business model. And now the model's changing, and how do we sort of pivot with that? And and obviously this isn't the entire solution, but I think this is a is a piece of the solution that better transparency and better predictive powers um, from these data sets can kind of help them. It's really a resource allocation. Mm-hmm you know, sort of time, I think more than like anything, it's like, who are the folks that I need to allocate more resources on and who is I not in? And I also think this model of where 80 plus percent, at least a primary care is sort of pre-scheduled. We're gonna see you back in six months whether you need to or not, because the docs are all like, I'm way too busy. You yeah. know, I, I'm like, I say too many patients it's Like, well, you're way too busy because, you know, a very large percentage of the patients you're seeing, you really don't need to. And stuff like that so why don't we just kind of like check in with them sort of like and if they you know if they don't need to come in then they don't come in
1: incorporating like telemedicine and platforms like that into the care delivery is what you're talking about yeah and I
3: think it's started to go down the direction of kind of just
1: monitoring
3: Use really generally, kind of loose. So whether we're talking about sort of like a Fitbit or sort of like an Apple Watch, that sort of thing, but some way that you can kind of do a check-in and you stay automated. connected, but remotely. Yeah, and at that point, based on you know again similar kind of rules, it's like people can get sort of escalated, and it's like okay, I was going to have you come back in six months. You need to come back in you know one month, but the rest of you, we can push you out to nine, and so we can get more and kind of adjust in time, sort of severity based sort of you know triage where it's a little bit more sort of fluid that way we can maybe sort of shift the allocation of those resources to this watch group um... that we can monitor them more intensely and the other folks we can kind of loosen up a little bit on and you know just you know that sort of thing. but we still need to stay in touch
2: and so who would you say are your customers
3: um... well and i guess sort of from a broad sort of sense um, you know I think every consumer you know so like many of our properties are very consumer facing and we you know again we we collect the information analyze it and disseminate it via web portals you know so you know definitely we view our customers or our users as as every consumer of healthcare which is basically like all of us Um, you know probably our other group is hospitals and You know, we do business with a very large percentage of hospitals, about 5,000 hospitals in the country, and a very large percentage of that are our customers today for various sort of data analytics sort of services. Increasingly, I think physicians are becoming sort of another constituent sort of base if they haven't been like all along, because everything we do, we try to do in conjunction with consumers and physicians. It doesn't work if one group is being sort of disadvantaged, sort of like in the process. I mean, docs we know are a little uncomfortable with, you know, kind of open transparency and we need to provide this information in a way that's safe and fair to them. Um, But we also need to make sure that the, you know, we're able to get enough information so that it's useful for sort of consumers and stuff. So, I mean, I, I think we try to walk that that tightrope, you know, really carefully or whatever, balancing out sort of like the transparency needs and the benefits for consumers. And then also the transparency needs and benefits for like physicians as well.
2: And so as a consumer, am I paying you for your service as far as like being able to check out a doctor? No. And so most of your like business model would be who's paying you then?
3: Yeah. So I, so I guess a couple different ways. So, um, there's definitely an advertising model here to play, so at, by being able to provide this, cons- this service to consumers, um, over a million patients a day come to the health grades to, to find a physician. And so because that's a very big audience, and it's a very big audience that's about to appoint with the physician, it's a very attractive audience to sort of monetize through other advertising sort of models and stuff. So your typical, so it, which is kind of the primary monetization or business model for most, like, web yeah, properties websites and, and, websites like and WebD, properties and stuff. So because yeah. of the, the size of the audience, which is kind of grown by the value of the service, those sort of grow there. Um, you know, the next business model is direct payments from hospitals in terms of being able to provide the data analytics, analyze their marketplace, identify who the top prospects are for a particular service line so that the hospital can then go out and reach those folks. It's like, I don't want to advertise to the entire marketplace. Narrow it down for me so that I can just, I, I better understand who my targets are. Hospitals are also very interested in kind of that interaction where kind of patients are looking for a physician and they have a physician who, you know, happens to, you know, it works for them or whatever, and it's a nice match between the two and it's almost more of kind of a google adwords type model where through enhanced profilings and other things we facilitate the appointments being made and stuff so hospitals will sort of reimburse for helping us make that connection so it's a you know it's paid for on the hospital side but it's a little bit more like a match.com you know, sort of arrangement kind of model where we help them find each other that way.
2: And are you looking for like helping them find the best patients or just a patient that's interested in that type of
3: service? From which, so so from the, uh, from the patient side, we're always interested in providing the information so that they can find the best doctor for them. And so, understanding what's best for them is is a little bit complex. Yeah.
4: Maybe I can chime in here. So, One of the things we want to make sure that people know about Healthgrades is that consumers can come to our site Healthgrades.com and all of the data that Dr. Bowman's talking about, we've translated that claims data to benefit the patient. So using the hip replacement model. You can come to Healthgrades. You can search by a specific procedure or condition. You can say, I need a doctor who does hip replacements. And we will actually return results, and we will present you the data in a very Mm -hmm. easy-to-understand way. I was looking
1: at that earlier. We have
4: something that um, we unveiled in the past year called the Experience Match Score. So we take all of that claims data, and it looks across nine different factors, and it looks at things like volume of procedure, performed, patient satisfaction, et cetera, et cetera. So we can tell you, Diana, in the Atlanta area, here's the five best doctors for hip replacement for you. So we can kind of cut through the noise and help you find the most qualified patients. So by making the data set available to consumers as well as to the marketers, it's sort of like we're really trying to match the best patients with the best doctors and the best facilities.
2: And so where does, you know, as editorial director, Mm -hmm. where does editorial fit into the data?
4: A couple of different ways. So when you come to our site, and you do a physician search. Once you have found the doctor that you're looking for, we have lots of different content integrated into those pages. And really, our content is directed towards helping a patient prepare for an appointment and have a really... Um, helpful and meaningful interaction. Because most uh, doctor's appointments, as you know, are in the 15-minute range. Everybody walks out of a doctor's appointment feeling rushed and feeling, shoot, I forgot to ask XYZ. So we have lots of content on the site that helps people think about what are the right questions to ask before they go in. Um, and then, one of the things that I think Dr. Bowman and I will be working on in an emerging basis is all of these communications that we're talking about hospitals taking with patients, whether it's an email campaign, whether it's a text message, whether it's some social campaign that because of all of these analytics, we know that this population is at risk for stroke or this population is at risk for diabetic complications. We can push the right content to the right consumer to really help motivate them.
1: And we're talking about content. And I know that's one of the things, obviously, that's the big thrust of Sherwick Media Group. And I know in, in talking to you that the organization p- partnered with them to do some content-related focus. Now, is that kind of where that content that you're talking about comes into play? Is helping those patients learn? Because I know some of the pieces that uh, that Diana and her team will produce are aimed at that person who's getting ready to get a hip replacement, for example, or they're facing a particular illness and that kind of thing. So it's um, educational in that, re- in that regard. Is that kind of where you're deploying those?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we know that the way that people make decisions about healthcare is not completely emotional, and it's not completely scientific. That's why we're trying to present both things. We know that emotion factors in to health in a in a very large right. way, so we've worked with Diana on recruiting some um, compelling patients to do personal storytelling and video. Okay, format. so I can
1: see actually yeah, exactly. see somebody's already been through it, exactly. and I can now go. Oh, okay, now this is I, I get it. They, my doctor was trying to tell me what to expect, but.
4: Right, I mean, take, Susie
1: here went through it, and I, I can see what her experience exactly.
4: Was like. like we worked on a project together on Crohn's disease, and if you know that's a very difficult condition to live with, you know, obviously. And if you were facing something like having to get a colostomy, and we have patients talking about, you know, what life isn't so bad; it's manageable. That actually can help um, give a patient the confidence, frankly, to walk in the doctor's office right. and have the conversation. Okay.
1: You were going to ask something, Diane? I wasn't. Oh? I was I was listening. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's
4: not like me not to ask something.
1: We've been talking with Brad, Brad Bowman and Nikki Scarborough of Healthgrades, and uh, clearly they're a, a health information technology company that's going far beyond sharing information about your physician background, about a hospital's uh, experience uh, with regards to outcomes, whether they have higher infection rates or whatever the case may be, according to. Uh, what the national norms are. Uh, I think it's pretty intriguing what you're able to do with the with the data. And, and as we were talking about earlier, how much of the data that you're aggregating and compiling into your data lake, if you will, is not health indicators per se. It's not my blood pressure. It's not my height and weight. It's my car. It's my...
2: Bedrooms. How many bedroom. people <laughs> I've got uh,
1: in my contacts list. Interesting things like that. How did that all come together? I mean, at what point did that begin to reveal itself strategically thinking you know where did that come from we got we got to pull all these pieces of of information together um, and make that lake as deep and wide as we can from all of these different types of pieces of our daily life that as you're as you say once you start pulling pictures out of that okay show me the people with heart attacks oh they happen to have three three bedroom homes with two and a half kids and they drive a, I mean when how did that all start to yeah and, and evolve?
3: It, and it definitely came out of I think some of these marketing databases and sort of the experience of you know marketers and in, in primarily outside of healthcare, you know. So I think they're kind of looking at kind of the what they're able to do, you know, whether it's in the finance sector, um, whether in the you know the just the general sort of you know um, consumer goods, realtor, you know. Retail sort of sector, those sort of things, and kind of the lessons learned there, um, and I th- so there's been a little a growing academic interest in this. And so again, I think this started kind of in academia. Um, you know, primarily, I think one of the founders of or kind of you know early adopters of this was some folks up at um, U- University of Pittsburgh Medical Center um, that were looking at it primarily around ER readmissions. And it's like you know they they get a certain percentage of patients that after they go to the ER sort of end up coming back to the ER um, within a relatively short period of time and before they even get to their kind of follow-up appointment with whoever they're sort of sent to. And I think one of the questions that they had asked, um, Dr. Pamela Peel up there, um, kind of the chief analytics officer on the insurance side of the business, was what do these patients have in common? You know, there must be some common thread Or can, you know, and the idea was, is can we kind of profile them in the, you know, almost whether you're trying to profile sort of a, you know, a crime suspect or like whatever, but can we develop a profile for these, you know, either these emergency room sort of, you know, you know, repeat visitors or frequent flyers, that sort of thing, so that we can spot them when we, when they're coming, you know, so we have them sort of like here in the hospital, we can kind of, flag them and be on alert that this is a person that no matter what we do here today is likely to kind of like return and that's where they started looking at kind of these data sets and were able to develop these profiles if you will um, that sort of describe the attributes and characteristics and what they had found is that an awful lot of these were um, again not clinical but it was really kind of like where they live and how they live. You know, those were the things that kind of determine, you know, and I think part of it, and in this particular case, some of these are pretty intuitive um, because I think a lot of this gets around to support networks. And you just, there's a whole bunch of different characteristics that sort of describes an individual that, you know, has a dealing, has a lot on their plate, um, either a lot of children or unstable housing. Unstable transportation, very limited kind of support networks or other people to sort of help them out that end up sort of going home and then, you know, essentially failing and then returning kind of back there sort of as well. So, one of the th- innovative programs they've created is kind of this algorithm that scores these patients and they basically tier the discharge interventions to kind of the score of the patient. Okay, patients. so
1: from a case management perspective, they can be, as we talked about earlier in the program, More engaged with some of those that have that higher red flag kind of score.
3: Right. You can almost think of almost kind of like a recidivism sort of thing. So there's like the low risk folks, which they just give the the standard discharge instructions and send them out the door. And then there's kind of a level that may get sort of a follow-up call like the next morning and then maybe like another level that gets the follow-up call plus like the visiting nurse or kind of like whatever, almost to the level where you practically send someone home with them. Yeah. You know, because you just, right. yeah. you know, that if we don't do this, then, you know, that sort of like thing and you get them plugged into kind
1: of different services. And it really helped them kind of decrease. So the, they were actually able to show a, a measured decreased use of ER for readmissions. Yes. In that.
3: Yeah. And again, and again, that, that, you know, again, makes sense if you're under kind of a bundled payment, total cost of care sort of system where you're getting paid once. Um for this episode of care. So if they keep coming back, you're not getting paid for these subsequent sort of admissions. Mm-hmm. In the old world where you got paid every time they came back, there really was <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. There wasn't a whole lot of incentive to please you know for <laughs> your like, friends. <laughs> so yeah. and, and that's where it just kinda of flips
3: it kind of like on its end. So the interesting thing however kind of within this, which I think was also sort of fascinating, which is the, the level of education again in this particular instance and and in many of these others actually works against you um which again is just kind of you can't really kind of predict sort of these like data sets and and whether so less educated folks do better um just sort of in general so whether i don't know whether people that have high (laughs) education try to manage their condition longer than they should or think they know more than they do or kind of what the whole scenario there, but if you look at kind of like all of these different models, a lot of things seem to make a lot of sense. And then these other ones that just kind of fly in the face of, you know, we think those who maybe should know better um, don't end up sort of, you know, their outcomes don't go the direction that we would have called. Gosh, that's very interesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I find it fascinating. Nikki Scarborough and Brad Bowman of Healthgrades are joining us here in the studio, and we're learning about the amazing things and – elements are able to extrapolate from our daily personal lives all of the breadcrumbs that we leave all over the internet and all over our credit card statements and so forth um, to be able to draw a picture about our probability of having particular issues or whether we're going to be readmitted and so forth but what is it what's what's it look like how do you interact with the data i mean is there a, a, you know as we talked about earlier you've got all of these data points that you're pulling from all uh, various Aggregators that are out there that collect all this kind of consumer and, and personal information on us, but how do you interface with the data? Is there some sort of an uh, application uh, that you're utilizing that allows you to do queries? Show me, show me the heart attack population, and then it gives you back a typical top X number of common bullets on this particular person and what their readmission picture tends to be that kind of thing
3: yeah so and again kind of walking through it again at a very high level yeah and so the first step is you just throw everything into the hopper that might be relevant because i guess the thing that we've learned here is we're not very good at guessing what's going to be helpful <laughs> yeah. and what's not going yeah, to so be
1: really tangential but they've come into play so
3: let's throw everything in that we have um, to a certain extent if you can add clinical information to that. So we work with a lot of our hospital partners to basically provide us um, with the clinical information as well, um, because we can then make better predictive analytics based on that. Um, Then what you do is you pick an an endpoint. And so each of these models is for a particular thing. So let's just say we're going to do like heart attack within 12 months. That's our hard sort of like endpoint, And then you go through and you analyze all the information. And the next thing you do is you break them into two groups. Where are the people that had a heart attack within the next 12 months? And where are all the people that didn't have a heart attack within the next 12 months? So you basically identify them and you separate your groups. And then you plug this into what's called a neural network, which basically goes through and basically says, what do all the people, or what are the people that had a heart attack seem to have in common? Mm-hmm. Compared to the people who didn't have a heart attack.
1: So. so how does it give it back to you? Is it a is it a graph? Is it what what does it look like? A bunch so the, of
3: numbers. Yeah, a bunch of numbers. So essentially, each person you know receives sort of a a score. Okay. Um, we score them from zero to a thousand, and which is sort of a likelihood or probability score, and it's based on sort of having the, you know, the right combination of factors that produce the heart attack compared to the ones who didn't produce the heart attack. So it's a, you can almost mm-hmm. kind of think of it as kind of a, you know, a, either a pattern matching or a facial recognition. How closely does it fit um, with the typical profile of this group? And like I said, each of these conditions essentially has a tell or a clue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they seem sort of random, but they really aren't random because underneath it, there's some common themes that some of which we can explain, other things we can't explain, but it's like this is sort of the signature or profile um, for this particular condition within this time frame. Now, if we're looking at it five years out, it may be a completely different set of factors that drives that determination versus kind of the time-based.
2: I'd like to ask that if I'm like in that range, can you just let me know? <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: it,
1: Probably you can go back and tinker on a computer and tell you.
3: Well, and, and, yeah. and that's really the conversation we're trying to have. So, I mean, one, we're trying to have this conversation with physicians into, you know, one of kind of, you know, I, I guess moving to kind of use these information, this type of information in sort of their clinical practices. So first I'd be letting the doc know. Um, and then, yeah, we'd very much like to let you know. Um, and almost kind of provide the information to both of you at the same time, and then it's like,
1: so now discuss.
3: Talk amongst yourselves. I
1: don't know that it is, but is it possible for me to log in as an individual and say, here's me, you obviously have all my goods, what's my score? That then I can begin to take action myself uh, as a self-advocate. And and
2: Nikki and Brad are going to ask, and how much are you willing to pay for that? That's right,
1: yeah. But, I mean, it would seem that that is just as much as it would be valuable to a hospital system to know, I want CW, because he's probably going to keel over in the next year. I I want him in my group and my network of patients. But uh, it would seem to be useful to, to give CW a little bit of an advantage also to have the same information so that maybe... He can game the system and not actually have the heart attack.
3: Yeah, I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? So I mean, I mean we're you, not there today. Okay, so I can't come in and say, "Give me my a,
1: score," and so maybe there's some of these factors I need to adjust.
3: I mean, that would be a really amazing place to go, yeah, and to be able to do that sort of one day. And is of that course, in the mail? And of course, we'd need the we'd we need the docs, you know, kind of on, be on board and sort of participate in that sort of with us and stuff. Um, but no, and I think that is part of like where the future of this goes is is kind of connects back to the individual, right? Sort of you know consumer. And well, with
1: with higher deductibles, higher out of pocket mm-hmm. costs, all of those things. I know that the the health uh, savings plans, for example, health savings accounts, are, are kind of all about that. It, that the notion being, if I'm going to pay more, have to come out of pocket more, then I'm probably going to try to make better decisions. Yet here's a here's a great tool that would layer on top of that that would let me be that much more, I guess, intelligent about my choices um, along the way.
3: Right. And those are exactly the forces and primarily the consumerism within healthcare that's driving a lot of this transparency.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I mean,
3: we wouldn't have been able to have this conversation five years ago either on because no information was available on doctors, no information was available on hospital. You know, everybody was kind of holding the information in and consumers weren't really used to trading their information in exchange for some other service type of thing, which I think is becoming to get a little bit more commonplace. So with, you know, proper sort of safeguards and privacy and security kind of controls in place, I I think it is kind of opening up a little bit more of a – you know, consumerism-driven sort of marketplace yeah. to where you could now start to envision that where we'll be able to take this information and use it on the benefit of an individual as opposed to a population, uh, a population right. which is kind of in line with a lot of other, you know, the, the whole movement towards personalized pharmaceuticals and genetic-based sort of prescribing and that type of stuff um, is happening elsewhere in sort of medicine. And, and it's, it's moving slowly but it's definitely moving, and I think this fits right in with that.
1: Yeah, and I can see where the, the transparent side of things that faces the physicians and the hospitals that that you're displaying information about, um, it would, it's it got to have some measure of impact on the way they do things, trying to get their scores up, trying to make sure. Uh, I'm sure they use that same information themselves. Oh, geez, our outcomes in our hip replacements are lagging behind national averages. I'm sure they have that already, but I mean, here's, it, it's, it's not just a score they're getting, so they can kind of take their time getting to it. It's also being showed to CW, who is trying to decide where to go. So I'm sure that puts a giddy up into, we gotta shore this up and really raise our out- outcomes here as it relates to this information being available.
3: Yeah, and I think, and that's the way that many organizations are sort of viewing this. And I think a lot of them are starting to really embrace kind of the critique and the feedback. And are really acting really serious on the areas that you know that they could improve on, and, and viewing that as a positive thing. Um, you know, glad to know that we thought we were doing fine there, but apparently we're not because they don't really. It's hard at any one time for a hospital to really know how they compare to the institution down the road, on a day in day and sort of like basis, whether it's complication rates it. or outcomes, and log into the website. You know, they sort of get this information. Of course, there's always those that just want to. Argue, sure. Uh, you know, as sort of well. So, it's, it's both sides of the coin there. But I think more and more folks are really looking this to improve, kind of their overall operation and that type of stuff, and and getting the the patients more into the mix, you know, including them into it, like the things that we were talking about, and into the monitoring, to the care, to getting them up to date on their preventive screenings, and working with them on compliance, and. I mean, really, at the end of the day, it really comes down to kind of lifestyle issues, right? It's how they live their lives, um, you know, that type of stuff. So it, it's far more about what they eat, what they do after they eat, you know, those sort of things, you know, the day-to-day sort of decisions, how active they they choose to be or not to be, those sort of things that drives a lot of these sort of outcomes. And some of those are kind of determined by where they live and how they live in those is kind of understanding kind of the, again, the, the social determinants of sort of health. And by intervening kind of at that level in the household, um, it pulls all the way through to your hospital report cards.
2: So Dr. Bowman, how, when these scores started, um, you know, really started to be kept track of and also then published, the, some hospitals, not all, would actually use it as a reason to turn patients away. And um, kind of explain the historical and why that's not happening anymore. Because it really, I mean, there is a big institution in Ohio that actually got rid of their um, emergency department because it was not helping their score. So (laughs) um, not naming names, but, you know, talk to me historically about what changed and why it used to be where they were using it, almost like gaming the system. And now that's really almost impossible to do. It actually is using, going more towards value and quality.
3: Yeah, I, actually I hadn't heard that, but I, I can say I'm honestly not surprised. Um, I guess very little in healthcare would surprise me anymore at this point. But I, I do think that there was a, a little bit of, of that kind of reaction and it, it took, and I'm not sure that we're there today um, in terms of all hospitals equally embracing kind of these these quality sort of metrics and stuff. And as I kind of alluded to earlier, it's it, there is this notion that everybody, you know, each hospital feels that their patients are the sickest, just like every doctor thinks that his patients are the sickest, and they have a number of different kind of reasons. And now some hospital actually patients are the sickest, you know, but it's not kind of like everyone as they sort of, you know, sort of allude to. But And I say that a little bit sort of tongue-in-cheek, but it also does sort of highlight a a real sort of, um, you know, kind of um, need or whatever to better understanding Socioeconomic risk adjustment. I mean, I can say today we're not where we need to be in, in terms of risk adjusting patients, sort of like at the household sort of level. And, and I think, you know, we're very open to work with anyone um, who has some thoughts or ideas or wants to kind of, you know, do some science and, you know, kind of develop some models and test them and prove them out to find better ways to sort of adequately socioeconomically sort of adjust. Now, I I can tell you that when we look at most of the hospitals that claim that they're being unfairly risk adjusted, it doesn't seem to be the case. And many of the things that, you know, are sort of, you know, things left inside patients and, you know, kind of sponges or Mm -hmm. instruments and stuff like that, it's hard for me to tie back to where they came from as to the cause of why that happened. And stuff. But um, but I I think kind of to your, we are sort of making gains, and and I think hospitals are kind of realizing that it's no longer in their best interest to change their whole sort of operations around this. Now, the one thing I can also kind of allude to a little bit is there is a little, hospitals are kind of caught in the middle a little bit between sort of reimbursement and sort of, Care. It's it's actually how they, um, for better or worse, a lot of this is based on sort of coding practices. So if you, you know, code in a certain way that tends to facilitate higher reimbursement, you're going to, by definition, almost sort of like increase your complication sort of rate, which is going to hurt you on the kind of the quality sort of side. And if you kind of, you know, actively sort of code, kind of what they call present on admission and that sort of thing, which tends to help you on sort of the quality side, this was a sicker patient sort of coming, the reimbursement sort of level. And I think, you know, so it's not a perfect system and we're still working at getting through that and hospitals are kind of learning that I think in your particular thing, sort of like the law of unintended consequences, we thought this was the, the, the simple short answer, we're gonna close the ER or we're gonna code this different way um, because we're either gonna gain reimbursement or whatever, but now we're looking worse um, because we're basically saying our patients aren't doing as well, Um, you know, sort of like thing. It's it's finding the balance there, but but I think we're here to, you know, this type of kind of transparency is so desperately needed. Patients need it, they need it to make their decisions. And I think via the consumerism, that they're really demanding it. They're, mm-hmm. they're honest I think we're getting to the kind of the tipping point where, you know, patients aren't going to choose physicians who they're not able to really get good information on who they are and what they do and how good of outcomes they produce. And I think we're the same way with sort of hospitals. We're just like kind of trade with institutions that keep all of their data locked up and won't kind of share with us. You know, kind of again, what they do and how well
1: they do it. Well, we burned up an hour. I
3: cannot believe it. <laughs>
2: Uh, And we're not even, I I mean, I have a lot more. I've I've got got questions.
1: Absolutely. If you want some more information, go to healthgrades.com. Are there other websites? You talked about portals. Are there other ones? Or they can get to where they need to go from healthgrades.com.
4: Everything from health and, and they've got
1: links to all of their social media. Of course, we'll tie in with that through the um, Health Connect South radio Twitter feed at HealthCon Radio. If you're not done so already, make sure you tie in with us there. Sherwick Media also, uh, you can link in with and them as well. Can
2: we have you back? We've only yeah, scratched we've the gotta, surface we gotta here. We got to talk some more. This is pretty
1: to. cool stuff. So. Dr. Bowman, Nikki, thanks so much for taking some time today. I, I hate to, to to cut us off, but man, it's just gone whipped on by. And Diana, thanks for joining us. Always a in pleasure. Studio. I'm awake to now. The, to the folks with <laughs> Health Connect South, we're certainly pleased to be a part of the platform, helping get information out about uh, what's going on in healthcare today. So uh, check back with us. Uh, make sure you make an appointment to see us in the uh, same time, same place next week. We'll see you then.
0: This show is brought to you by Sherwick Media. Sherwick is the health and wellness solution, content that inspires change. Learn more at www.sherwick.com. That's sharewik.com. And link up with us on Facebook and Twitter.